0: Right where you are, say amen. Amen. Or amen, however you say it. Oh, yes, that's your heart, God, towards us, your people. Your blessing is in the Word because that's what you want. That's what you desire to express. That's what you desire to impart into those who look to you, to follow you, and to say you, are our God. You are our Lord. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Lord, we're just so filled with thankfulness right now because we're reminded that we serve a God who is for us and who is not against us. Oh, thank you that you are for us And not against us. If there's anyone out there watching today. You feel like God's against you. No he's for you. Not against you. Lord that's your heart for your people. That's your heart for mankind. May it be felt today. May it be welcomed today. May it be known today in our lives. In our homes. For our children. And our children's children. And so on and so forth. We say let it be by saying amen and amen right where you are praise god i dare you to get excited this morning right in your own home in your kitchen living room bedroom wherever you are in your pajamas and your sweats and your shorts or maybe you put on a, sh- a a jacket like me I don't know but I dare you to get excited and just say thank God. How about our worship team this morning? Hey, it's been a while. Why don't you just clap for them right in your own home? Come on, let me hear you clap right where you are. Let me hear the church clap. Amen. Let me hear the church clap. Praise God. Oh man, what a day. What a day so far. Listen, when I finish the preaching here in a, in a little bit, uh stay online with us because we like to bring all of us together and give our tithe and our offering together. You have an opportunity to do that. Plus, you'll get to hear of some things coming up and ways to stay connected. Well, let me invite you to open up your Bibles or your, your apps, whatever you're using today, to the New Testament, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we will begin today and as you're getting adjusted and getting your bibles ready, your notes ready um as i mentioned earlier um in the welcome obviously we we want to we we want to be able to come together church in person and um, and so we're hoping that that's going to be really soon. We, we are continuing to pray, continuing to, to discuss and, uh, and monitor things. And so um, you'll be hearing from us hopefully this week uh, with a little more of a definitive time frame on that. So be on the lookout for that. Stay tuned. That's why you got to stay connected and stay plugged in. As well, so you can be up to date with everything that's happening in the church and and how we're moving forward. Um, so thankful for everybody who's played a part in, in 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 making things happen for online as well as behind the scenes and and checking in on our members and calling and different things to that nature. Praying for everyone, you're prayed for, church. Every week, the entire list is covered, you're prayed for, and and I hope you feel that. Uh, And I appreciate your prayers uh, for me on behalf of our staff and elders and deacons and others. Uh, We appreciate your prayers as well. We're we're doing this thing. We're walking this thing out. And so, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, going to draw your attention down to verse 7, the second part of that. This is the Apostle Paul speaking and writing, and he says, This. He says, So, to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away, and each time he said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So, now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I think to really get full appreciation and for what Paul's saying and and, and getting an understanding of where he's coming from we got to go back just a little in, in this book, um, in this letter, uh, in ch- the latter half of chapter 11, the beginning of, of chapter 12. Paul Paul talks about some things, and, and he says, I'm just going to kind of read it to you. He, he says, I, again, he said, I don't think I'm a fool to talk like this, but if I do, listen to me as you would to a foolish person, while I boast a little. He said, such boasting is not from the Lord, but I'm acting like a fool. He said, and since others boast about their human achievements, I will too. And he goes on, and he begins to talk about a lots of things he went through, lots of his, uh, his hardships, uh, a lot of his difficulties, and all the different things that, that he went through. He, he said, I face danger from rivers, from robbers. I face danger from my own people. I face danger in the cities, in the deserts. He says, I've worked um, I've worked hard, long, enduring many sleepless nights, been hungry and thirsty, gone without food, shivering in the cold, all of these different things. He's, he's saying, look, I, I've been there. I've, I've gone through a lot of these things, but what I really need to boast about, he says, I, I want to boast about my achievements because, hey, that's kind of what humans do. He said, but really what I need to be boasting about is what shows you how weak I am. Who goes around telling people, hey, here's how weak I am. Not many people do that these days. But Paul was setting an example. And he wanted us to understand because he discovered a secret to being strong. And he goes on into chapter 12 and he's like, hey, I I had this most amazing encounter with God. I had this vision, I had this heavy revelation. Me and the Lord were so tight, and it was amazing. In fact, it was so amazing, I can't even begin to put words on this to describe it. And he's like, I really want to tell you all about this stuff. I want to really tell you about how I went through some things and how I overcame them. So I really want to tell you about my close encounters with God and how special and how amazing those were. But really, what you need to hear from me is about what shows you how weak I am. Interesting, interesting turn. He said, what you really need to hear is about what shows you how weak I am. He said, "I I want you to see how my life has been influenced by Christ, how Christ has left an indelible mark, an impression on my life, and I want you to also be influenced By this Christ who has influenced me. He said, So while I want to tell you about all the different things I've done and my closeness with God, I really want to and really need to boast in how weak I am. Because I could boast in all the things I've done and how close I am to the Lord, but that's not going to help you as much as you knowing how weak I am, because when I'm weak, that's when Christ is the strongest in my life. And that is what will do wonders for your life. And so on this Mother's Day, I'm going to preach a message I've titled, Let Christ Take Over. Let Christ Take Over. I, I think it would probably be every mother's prayer and hope that their children and their children's children, as the song said, and so on and so forth, would serve the Lord, that every one of us would have our lives taken over by Christ. I thank, the, I thank God for my mom who sacrificed and, and prayed for me and put me in places that I didn't want to be in, but she knew it was for my own good because she knew it would lead to Christ taking over in my life. And so Paul gets on into this thing and he talks about this thorn in the flesh thorn in the flesh now here 's the thing about this thorn in the flesh this the scholars over the years have studied this and written about it, and none of them are really sure what it was. I mean, they have ideas. They have the speculation as to what it might be. Some say it was a physical issue that Paul had. He had an eyesight problem, a speech impediment. He suffered from epilepsy or something along those lines. Others say he had a personality problem. People just couldn't get along with Paul. Paul couldn't get along with people. People misunderstood him, and, and they were opposed to him. And other scholars say that it was really more of a spiritual problem that Paul couldn't get over bitterness. He he had a bad temper and all of these types of of things. And, you know, in the ancient times, thorns were used in battle as stakes in the ground to slow the enemy down and to trip the enemy up. And Jesus actually talked about uh, some thorns in the parable of the sower. And he said thorns are, are likened to the cares of this world that choke life out. But in general speaking, thorns are relative. They're relative, and when life is has something that's just kind of hard to deal with, hard to handle, that's kind of the angle I'm going to come from today. Looking here at this story with Paul and his his uh, illustration that thorns in general are relative, and they're just they're talking about when life is just kind of hard. To handle. No doubt we've had some hard times in the last uh, two months in our country. Uh, right here, it, it is no respecter of persons. It's hit the entire country around the world and it's affected us. And we have these ongoing things that happen in life and it is uncomfortable and hard to deal with, challenging, difficult, etc thorns. Paul begged God three times, God, take this thorn away from me. Please remove this thorn. And he said he prayed three times, begged God three times, and three times God said back to Paul, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. It's not the answer we want. When we are faced with thorns, when we are faced with difficulties and challenges and life is hard to handle, we are wanting and needing God to take this away. And each time he may say, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. We know three times in the Garden of Gethsemane on the eve of Jesus' betrayal and his arrest prior to going to the cross, he prayed three times, Father, take this cup of suffering away from me. Please take it away, take it away, take it away. And each time he came to the resolve of, Lord, but not my will, your will be done. We see there in the garden, Jesus was feeling weakness. Obviously so, facing the cup of suffering. But we see God's grace was stronger. And Paul discovered that. Paul discovered that strength as well. He discovered that grace as well. The secret to strength, Paul goes on to say, was boasting in his weakness. Boasting in his weakness. He's like, you know what? I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to run from. I'm not going to sweep my weaknesses under the rug. No, people need to know I'm weak. We all have weaknesses. I have weaknesses. And I'm not going to pretend that they don't exist. I'm going to boast in those weaknesses. I'm going to acknowledge those weaknesses. Because when I acknowledge those weaknesses, then God's grace and his power can work through my life. What thorns are sticking you right now? What thorns are really just zeroing in in your life right now? And then here's the thing, what do you do, what do we do when God doesn't remove those thorns right away? Well, I think the answer is found in what what Paul lays out in his own experience that would help us today. And that is, we just need to let Christ take over in our life. Truly let Christ take over. Let God's grace be on me, in me, and with me to help me carry on with my life and the purpose that he has me here for. The word grace is such a powerful, yet oftentimes misunderstood word. Grace. One of my old Bible college professors likened grace as an acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. I remember that's always stuck with me. I never will forget that, so long as my memory stays good, hopefully. But grace, it's such a powerful word. And here's what the New Testament definition of grace means it's tad lengthy, so listen to it and bear with me. It's the merciful kindness by which God exerts his holy influence upon souls, human souls, turns them to Christ, keeps them. Strengthens and increases them in the Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles them to the exercise of the Christian virtues. It's a lot in there, but let's look at it again. Grace, God's grace, is God's exerting His holy influence upon my soul. To do what? To turn me to Christ. To turn me to the Lord. To keep me there. To strengthen me in that direction. And to help me to grow in my faith and my knowledge and my affection for him. And then kindle me. Stir me. Ignite a fire within me. To the exercise of all the Christian virtues that are ours in Christ Jesus. Grace. 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 Supernatural strength, divine dynamite, perpetual power, if you will. The grace of God. No man can stop it. No problem can prevent it. No challenge can contain it. No hardship can hurt it. No thorn can tear it. And no devil can destroy it. That's how powerful God's grace is in the heart of a human. It's powerful, it's unstoppable, it's undeniable. And so we look at our thorns in our life and we look at the story with Paul. What do we do when God doesn't remove all of those things away from our life at that time? What do we do? We need to let Christ take over, let his grace come upon us and in us and with us to move us, to kindle us and help us to carry on with life and purpose. And the last few minutes we have with you today is I just want to leave you with three effects of letting Christ take over. Three effects of letting Christ take over his grace on our life. We're not gonna, I'm not gonna read these scriptures, but it's, I'm drawing this out of um, Matthew, the end of Matthew three through about the middle ways of Matthew four, um, where Jesus is, gets water baptized, and then after that, Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days, and in the wilderness for 40 days, he's tempted by the devil, and then he. Ends that time frame, and God brings him out, and he begins his ministry. And so we're going to look at that, and there's three effects of letting Christ take over in our life. Number one is letting the grace of God, it assures me. When Christ takes over in our life, his grace assures me. Jesus gets baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. And as he comes out of the water, the spirit comes on him in the form of a dove. And then a voice from heaven, God speaks. And he says, this is my son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. God being well pleased with his son, Jesus, just because of who he is, his son, his child. You know, for us, assurance comes when we let Christ take over in our life. Consider these words from Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. He writes, but God I love those but gods. These happen in the scriptures a lot. Man, all kinds of but gods. It often follows we once for this, we have been this, we've been acting like this, but God and that's in this case, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much. You've been acting like a fool, but God is so rich in mercy. You've been acting crazy, but God is rich in mercy and he loves us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead, and it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. And on down in verse 8, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. And one of my all-time favorites in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, Paul again says, my old self, who I used to be, has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law can make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Friends, you and I are unable to save ourselves. You and I are unable to pay the price for our soul salvation. We can't do it. We need a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. And Paul speaks here with such great assurance of who he is. He turned his life over to the Lord. He let Christ take over in his life. And he's like, you know, it's no longer me who's living these days. But I'm living this life now, but with Christ living in me. Christ living in me. What a change. What assurance Paul speaks from. You know, if you and I want the assurance of God in our life, then we have to let Christ take over. If we want the assurance of our true identity, who we really are, we have to let Christ take over. If we want to have the true assurance of our purpose in life, you got it. You got to let Christ take over. When we let Christ take over, it shows us who we really are and who we can become, the way we were created to be in God. When we let Christ take over, we begin to understand truly what life is all about. Paul went around murdering believers because he thought that was what he was supposed to do in the name of religion. Well, he had his life turned around, and he had such great assurance now, and he's telling you and I today that when we let Christ take over We get assurance that God is with me. God is for me, not against me. We get true assurance that, man, this is who I am called to be. This is the way I am destined to live my life and the purpose for which I'm here. Assurance comes when we let Christ take over. But here's a second effect. The second effect of letting Christ take over his grace, it sustains me. It sustains me. It supports me. It helps me move forward in life. In Matthew 4, Jesus enters into that 40-day prayer and fast in the wilderness. And in that time frame, the devil comes to him three times. Three times to tempt him to wear him down. Three times to tempt him to get him to turn from who he is. And we see each time, we see Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, is showing us we have dependence on God's grace. He depended on On the grace of God. See, with each temptation, the devil would come to him and say, If you are the Son of God, then do this. If you are the Son of God, then do that. If you are, then bow down and worship me. And each time, Jesus combats that with the Word of God. He said, Well, the Word says this. Well, the Word says this. And the Word says this. Now, the devil was a little tricky too. He threw in a little word as well. And that's why we got to know that we don't just know the Word, but we also have to know the God of this word. And that's where Jesus shows us, hey, he depended on the grace of God. He had the word working in his life. And then after all that was said and done, said the devil left him and angels came and took care of him. You know, the gospel shows the the practices of Jesus and how he depended on the grace of God. His practices were things like he prayed, Often find scriptures saying he pulled away, drew away to a lonely place, a quiet place to pray. He would read the scriptures. He would attend worship. He had the right circle of friends in his life. And for us being sustained by the grace of God and us experiencing that, we must also practice like manner the way Jesus did. What did he do? He prayed. Look at what the way James describes prayer in James 5 16, the second part. He says the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Prayer is to the soul what sleep is to the body. It's needed. It's required. If we're going to function, if we're going to live well, we need to pray. We need to have a prayer line of communication with our God, a relationship. Why? Because prayer, James says, prayer is powerful. Prayer changes things. It's a practice of ours in relationship with God, of us being sustained by His grace. Worship. Look at this verse, a popular one for this, Hebrews 10, 25. In the Passion, it says, This is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together. As some have formed the habit of doing, in fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage and urge each other onward as we anticipate that day dawning. Now, I know we haven't been able to physically come together, but we have been able to come together virtually like we're doing right now. And when we do open the church again, and we're able to come back together in person, I sure hope and pray that we do it, and that you, that we all come and practice this, but the the spirit behind this is, hey, the way God can supply grace to us to sustain us, to keep us moving and support is we worship together, worshipping together is so vitally important because that 's where we find encouragement from one another and from the Lord to move forward Jesus also he read the scriptures, look at what Colossians says about the Word of God, Colossians 3.16 in the Passion says, Let the Word of Christ live in you richly, flooding you with all wisdom. And Hebrews 4 verse 12 out of the Passion, the writer says, We have the living Word of God, which is full of energy. You catch that? The Word of God, full of energy, like a two-mouthed sword. It will even penetrate to the very core of our being, where soul and spirit and bone and marrow meet. The Word of God is rich, and it is radical. You begin to read it. You open your life up to it, and you get into it. You see its richness. You see the way it's so powerful to make changes in us, and it brings the grace of God to the forefront of our life. You know, here's the thing. Thorns, the thorns of life will try to deplete us, will try to defeat us, and will try to wear us down. But we are sustained to carry on when we engage the grace of God. And these are the practices and some of the practices that Jesus Implemented and showed us if we will follow them. I think we we make this following God thing way too complicated. A lot we think we got to jump through this hoop and that hoop. Dot this I cross that T and all of those different things. Really, it boils down to a few simple measurements of life: pray, read the Word, worship with your church, get involved together, and and have the right kind of people in your life. I mean, I know there's a lot more to say about that and goes in greater depth, but really. Jesus practiced that, and we see the grace of God sustaining him to carry on. And then lastly, you got time for one more? All right, one more. Grace, letting Christ take over, it changes me. It assures me. It sustains me. It changes me. See, at the end of the 40-day time of fasting and praying in the wilderness and being tempted by the devil. The devil left, the angels came and took care of the Lord. It said, then God sent Jesus out on his, per- on his mission, on his purpose. He began to preach the good news filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was changed by the grace of God and propelled into his purpose. He's like, you know... I'm not going back. I'm not turning back. This is it. The door's been open. I'm stepping through it, and I'm going to carry on, and I'm going to do everything that I was sent to this earth to do. Man, may we all live that way. May we all be determined to live that way. I'm not turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, man. I'm going forward. I will face trials. I will face tribulation. I will face my hardships. I will face my challenges. I will have thorns in my life. But the one thing I know is God's grace is strong enough powerful enough to hold me, assure me, sustain me, and change me to where I can carry on with this God-given destiny that God gave me to live. God's grace changes us. Consider this in Titus 2 verse 11. He says, God's marvelous grace has manifested in person, bringing salvation to everyone. This same grace teaches us how to live each day as we turn our backs on ungodliness and indulgent, and indulgent lifestyles. And it equips us to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. The grace of God. You know who we are and what God has planned for us to do is propel, It is propelling by God's grace in our life. His grace teaches. His grace equips. His grace changes us to turn from an ungodly life, from a life living of our own selfish places and living for the glory of God. And we see that in Paul's life. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, out of the Passion, Paul writes this. This is after the thorn. All right, after the thorn. Paul says, but God's amazing grace has made me who I am. You see, when God's grace makes you, you don't have to apologize for who you are. Because it's his grace that is making you. It's his grace that is fashioning and forming you. The grace of God has made me who I am. And his grace to me was not fruitless. So I'm not going to let God's grace go to waste on my life. No. He said, in fact, I worked harder than all the rest. Yet not in my own strength, but God's for his empowering grace is poured out upon me. His empowering grace poured out upon me. This is after he begged God, take away the thorn. God didn't take the thorn away, but instead God gave him the ability to carry on. My grace is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. For we go on and we see Paul carried on indeed. He carried on his life, carried on his legacy, carried on his destiny and his purpose. For right at the end of his life, to Timothy, one of his closest spiritual sons in the faith, he said, Timothy, my day's come. The Lord's calling me home. I want you to know I have fought the good fight, finished the race, and kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness. Paul saying that with such Absolute certainty and assurance because he knew he was not the same years before God got a hold of him. Christ took over. Grace came and changed who he was and into who he was created to be and he carried on. And that same grace is here for you and me today to help you and I carry on. Friends, I want to pray with you as we as I conclude this message this morning, what's an area of your life right now where you need God's grace? What's been so challenging in your life that you need His grace? Maybe you're, you need reassurance of who you are in the Lord. Maybe you need to feel some of His Sustaining strength in your life to be able to carry on. Maybe there's some things about you and your life that you just wish you could change, but you feel powerless to change them. Maybe there are things about you that you just don't like. You're like, man, I know this way in me is not honoring the Lord, and you need change. You want change. Grace. God's grace, letting Christ take over is what will bring that change, what will bring that strength, what will bring that assurance in your life. Would you pray with me this morning and just bow your heads right where you are and I want to pray with you and just pray over you. Heavenly Father, thank you for this story, this example that Paul had because it helps us. We all have thorns, we have weaknesses, but man, there's sometimes we ask you to take them away and you don't because you want us to depend greater on you and on your grace. So right now, Lord, where we are, there might be some here watching that they feel separated and distant from you. Right now, as you call on the name of the Lord and just say his name, Jesus, I come to you right now. Draw my heart close to you. Create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit. You pray something like that, God jumps on that. He sweeps in. Brings assurance to your life. Maybe you feel really, really, really depleted. Worn out. The Lord says, if you'll come to me, those who are heavy laden and heavy burdened, I'll give you rest for your souls. Just tell the Lord, Lord, I'm tired, I'm weary, I'm depleted, I'm worn out. My strength is gone. Strengthen me today, sustain me today so I can carry on. Maybe you just feel like, man, I got some things in me that need to change. And I can't change them. Call on the Lord right now and say, Lord, help me. I'm weak. I boast in my weakness. Here they are, God. I know you know them, but I need to like admit it. Here I am. I'm saying I'm weak in this area, that area, whatever it is. Lord, may we all right now feel the engagement, the impression of Christ in our life. We be able to say, like Paul, my old life is crucified. And now I live this life with Christ living in me. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.